we had the playlist which was all of them all of the tournament songs kind of back up from like back home and all the England songs with the squad and things like that so I never want to hear any of them ever again <laughs> to be honest because <laughs> they were just on a kind of a loop Hello, I'm Josh Shreve and welcome to What's in the Bag. Each episode I'll be asking my guests just that question as we sit down and go through five important items they brought along in their bag. I have absolutely no idea what these items are going to be. All I know is that they're related to music in some way. This time round, it's Dan Sanderson, who's the editor-in-chief and head of brand at Mundial. A football magazine which over the years has developed to have its own podcast series, partnership with Netflix and even its very own football club. We talk about football anthems, 20th century bands from the Beatles to New Order and Dan spotting his music idol in his local pub. So let's ask Dan, shall we? What's in the bag? So today's guest on What's in the Bag is Dan Sanderson, the founder and editor-in-chief of Mundial magazine. Uh, A magazine, really, which I guess there's loads of football magazines that are out there or have been me growing up as a kid that I can think of and still are now. But this magazine really pens into the nostalgia of football, the icons and legends of the game, the kits, the aesthetics, the fans, everything that surrounds it. and it's got some sharp-witted writing as well in, in it as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Dan. No, thank, no, thanks for having us. That's a, it's a very kind intro. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad you like the mag. I wanted to say, first of all, I know you're a Liverpool fan. I, unfortunately, am a Man United fan. But I have to give you and your team a round of applause. Not not really just for this season, for the last couple of seasons. You must feel like a kid again, kind of, watching this team. It's that kind of football. Well... I wouldn't say feel like a kid again because we were crap when I was a kid. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an it's a new feeling. It's it's a strange one. It's, I mean, we we've been good in the past. You know what I mean? Like post two thousand, we've had good, great teams. We've won trophies, um, but to have a team that's seemingly way ahead of any of our competitors is, is is something that I'd heard about a lot when I was a kid. It was it was something that my dad and my granddad's generation had experienced. Um and something that I just didn't something that only Man United fans sort of as as I was growing up and perhaps Arsenal fans later on um had experienced. So it's it's quite it's great. It's in um it's been a long time coming. So you say that Liverpool were not a good team when you were younger. Who did you try and emulate as a kid? Who did you always want to be? There must have been a Liverpool player that was like your favourite. Yeah, Steve McManaman. Um Obviously, Robbie Fowler was like another level. He was, he was the best player in the side. Um, but I, th- I think Steve McManaman, I had kind of um, red curly hair and was really lanky and had skinny legs and wanted to be like Steve McManaman. So this podcast is primarily a music-based podcast, but I've always kind of thought that music and football sort of go hand in hand. I mean, behind me right now, I've got one of my favourite songs ever, New Order, World in Motion. I've got a Rue Tullet vinyl, which I've spun about twice called and the revelation time south africa (laughs) now you at mundial also you are primarily a magazine and you started off as a magazine but there is various other strands and things you've done one of Mm -hmm. which is uh doing playlists do you have much input into that yourself do you have much say what's goes what goes on those playlists 
Oh no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really allowed near them. I'm pretty unadventurous in terms of uh, of what I'm into. It it I take some real convincing to kind of <laughs> listen to something new or or to, or to to kind of explore a little bit further. I think there's some there's some people in the office and the, there's some people involved in the, in the kind of the football scene that we run specifically who who are DJs and kind of have a background in music. Who I'll, I'm very happy to just go with the flow and kind of trust trust them on that. Um, but I, th- I think it is a huge part of what we do that you think you, what you say there is it's um, everything around football is 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 equally as interesting to us and kind of um, especially when you, you're talking about nostalgia or you're talking about time and place music just, just does that immediately something like World in Motion if you put that on and we have several times at kind of events we've done and stuff like that it just transports people to um, a time that they really loved and I think that's it doesn't have to be a specific football song it can be something that you heard on the way to a match or something that is is um was popular around the time of your team winning the league or, or, or whatever that is I think it's they are linked so we would have just had sort of Euro 2020 this summer now every time a tournament comes on I'm immediately down that hole of like tournament songs of past it might be Ant and Deck were on the ball it might be World in Motion it might be that slightly dreadful Dizzy Rascal and James Corden uh, shout remix from 2010 are there any ones that come to your mind I don't remember that James Corden one but I would definitely be looking that up um, both of the three Lions songs I think it was three in the end was there or whatever but um, yeah they were kind of massive growing up and tournament football's special and in terms of tournament songs, we had, we did a we did a pop up for um, the the World Cup a couple of summers ago now, and we had the playlist which was all of them, all of the tournament songs, kind of back up from like back home and all the England songs with the squad and things like that. So I never want to hear any of them ever again, <laughs> to be honest, because <laughs> they were just on a kind of a loop in this in this space we had in Shoreditch, but. Um, Maybe in a, a few years, maybe maybe I'll be ready to listen to them again. It's funny you mention that because that is the first time I sort of stumbled across you guys. Um, move, I moved into London that summer and it was the World Cup and I started a new job and everything was falling into place. The weather was beautiful um, and I was sort of bumbling around the, the back streets of London essentially and I came across your store okay. and um, that was sort of, I guess, I, I ended up buying this as well. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So your World Cup, your World Cup um, edition with, with Gaza on the front, and immediately it just, as I said at the start, encaptures that whole like, oh giddiness of like, oh I can't wait for it to be back and reliving hurtful and pleasurable <laughs> memories of past tournaments yeah. and and all that. Um, by 2018, you were four years in then, so it was actually the World Cup before 2014 when you started, wasn't it? Yeah, so we we started with with a what was meant to be a one off magazine for the for the World Cup in Brazil, and we did a launch party <clears throat> up in Liverpool at the time, and um, yeah, like it was just meant to be a one off, like a hobby essentially. We wanted to produce something for the World Cup. We did a limited edition run; you could only get two thousand and fourteen of them, um, and and then here we are, what is six years later now, which which seems mad. Um, because people were just kind of asking when the next one is and asking when the next one is, um, but yeah, like the the World Cup, the the the, the country loses the plot. You know <laughs> what I mean? We we kind of we underestimated that. I think we wanted to do this nice little cool um, shop in Shoreditch and talk about all the things that we love and have a f- 
a few friends around and watch some games and then England start doing well and it snowballs and you just kind of come home every night covered in lager. Um, <laughs> but that's 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 magic in 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 its own way. I think I think um, it's it's yeah tournament football special wherever you are and it wasn't just that you know Spain Portugal was an incredible match. The, the, there was all these amazing games. It didn't just have to be England. Um, so. I'm I'm really glad that kind of people like yourself discovered us through that because you can only do so much by by putting a magazine out and we kind of wanted to invite a a bit more of a an audience into what we do and to take what we do in the magazine and put it into a physical space. I I heard on another podcast you say this quote about creating a sound not an echo which is obviously in relationship to um, creating your own sort of identity as a magazine and something that isn't 442, which I've bought in the past. What was your sort of route with that and how how did you go about it? Did you find people that kind of wanted to do the same sort of thing as you pretty quick on? So yeah, the, the, the sound, not an echo thing, which we we stole shamelessly from um, from Tina Brown, who used to be editor of, of Vanity Fair, um, I think is about... Well, essentially, f- football's massive. It's the it's the the biggest sport in the world. It's kind of the most popular um, unifier of people in, as as sport goes in, in on the planet. So, to do something different in in football is is quite is is easy or or easier than anything else. So to do the second best version of one of those things is is um, is. A completely pointless because if we wanted to do um, transfer rumours, there's someone doing that better than us. If we wanted to do rolling news, we'd be going up someone against massive media conglomerates who are really good at it. So we wanted to do something different and to be a sound, not an echo, as as that quote says, because that's the most important thing we think to, to you know, and and not everyone likes what we do, and and it's I think it's niche. In its nature, and I think um, it's not. It, we don't want to be the the world's biggest football brand because that's impossible. But we want to do what we do um, really well and put put everything we we can into it. Um, also, the the sort of inspiration was behind it was we didn't think anyone was doing that. We didn't think anyone was speaking about football um, in the way that we spoke to each other about it. You completely get that when you're when you're going through it as well. Everything feels exciting to read in it. So um, definitely, if you that's haven't fun. given it a go yet give it a read for sure thanks very much appreciate that let's start going through your items then so you've brought along mm-hmm. five items okay i think i think probably we're, we're, it might be a good one to start with um so it's 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 a 12 inch single of atmosphere um by by joy division not by ross abbott um and it was my dad's, so it, it's it's kind of part of a record collection that I've inherited, um, and 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 it's important to me for several reasons. Firstly, because it's as close you can get to a perfect record, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's beautiful and amazing and sad and brilliant and all all those things that that I'm not really qualified to talk about because I don't know anything <laughs> about music, but um. All, uh, another reason is it's my dad's and Ian Curtis died before I was born but to kind of inherit something like that and to then get into music through something that happened before you were born and that your dad was into is is just the sort of 
sentimental, weepy stuff that I really like. Um, but also, like, I think Joy Division are a hugely important band, and Factory Records is massively important, and Tony Wilson um, is is one of the most important figures in the history of music, popular culture, the northwest of England, even football to some extent. <laughs> I, I think what Tony Wilson did, which then influenced everything that came out of Manchester for the next 35 years, was kind of go, you don't just have to do that thing, you can also be as passionate and as interested in music and as creative as all these other people that you hear about in, in London and Paris and New York. When do you remember first hearing that 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 um, record? I inherited an um, a record player from one of my dad's friends, a guy called Mark Preston, who's like one of those unofficial uncles you have, um, and got it and was like, "What's this? This is amazing!" I was maybe like twelve, thirteen, and this was probably one of the first records I played on it. And and as 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 records to listen to on a record player go when you're twelve, thirteen, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> to listen to that atmosphere by Joe Division, it's not. Say, yeah. But like, was immediately in love with the medium, I suppose. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not quite smash hits. <laughs> no, exactly. But was like that's that's something so different. It's on a it's on a record for the start. I don't and I had to put a needle on it, which was a completely alien experience to me. But also, when it started playing, it was it was Joy Division, which is like was completely other at that time and that's probably why I was I gravitated to it so much and that kind of led me down the, the the rabbit hole that kind of got me into the Smiths the Stone Roses Oasis the Lars all all of these all of these things that kind of spun off this like wow what happened in that time period I want to know everything about and obviously um sadly what happens uh, with Ian Curtis and then following that was uh the formation of New Order um, yeah and sort of that change in sound, but some songs, as we've already alluded to, there's World in Motion, which I always mm-hmm. associate with football, but also Blue Monday, which I think must have been, yeah. I think it was on a FIFA. I think it was like, well, they brought it back yeah. for FIFA 2003 or something, and then it was on an advert. Um, what, yeah. How did you, did you rate New, New Order? Did you listen to them at all? Yeah, I think I think I think I, I had I've probably I've got the Blue Monday kind of single as well in, in the pile over there from my dad. Um, so like yeah, like I th- and I think obviously I was I was kind of a wasn't born or b was too young for for all that happening, but was still feeling the ripple effect when I was young and kind of Oasis and Stone Roses and and things like that happened, and that that was all because of this movement that was set into motion by Factory. So so. Like yeah, I I still listen to New Order probably every day. I, I I still think they're incredible, and I think that that shift in. I know it's okay to be from where you're from, and also to be into football, and also to be working class, but to be interested in art and to create this thing and that thing. I think I think obviously that existed before in 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 other forms, but I think what the movement that still exists from factory and from various other things that were happening in the northwest at that moment in time is still the same thing that we're doing now to to a to a to a maybe in a minute percentage and it's interesting that you say that joy division were around before you were born now new order world emotion was around 
four years before I was born. And mm-hmm. I always still have a really, and I don't know what it is, it's a strong traction to that n- 1990 football. Yeah. Maybe, I think it's probably because my dad was my age now um, when that was happening, the 1990 and Gaza's Tears and the music that was mm-hmm. around and all that kind of thing. I still feel that pull. So I think it, it is a natural thing to sort of want to go back and, and feel like you're part of a time when you weren't around necessarily. I think the 90s or like the early 90s, the late 80s, um, there was a a lot less cynicism. There was kind of a hedonism and an excitement around um, British music, British football, British fashion, British etc. etc. That maybe isn't there now. So I think there's, there's, there's a rose-tinted good old days thing to it. But also something like World in Motion comes out and gets played around every major tournament. So you, we associate that with kind of the amazing um, experience of, of of a World Cup or the Euros or something like that. So it just it's a it's a feel good song regardless of it, if you were there first time out or not. I think hearing that John Barnes rap for the first time, never get never <laughs> get over it. Let's go on to your second item, please. What have you got for me? Well, I like I think I would have been disowned if there was there was no there was nothing um, Beatles related <laughs> in this and I, um, so this is up I didn't do a record though it's it's a book or it's the accompanying book of the, the Scorsese George Harrison film Living in a Material World which is kind of this amazing photo journey through George's life with um, a foreword by Scorsese kind of quotes from all the people who are close to George um, yeah it's, it's, it's the story of as far as I'm concerned the objectively best Beatle. Um, and obviously, uh, won't come as a surprise to anyone that kind of the Beatles are a, a huge part of my upbringing, as they are with anyone from from the parts of the world where I'm from. They kind of... My grandparents kind of used to speak about going to the cavern and, and, and kind of, you know, either seeing the Beatles or seeing the bands from around the time the Beatles were, um, were, were coming through in Liverpool um, then that was passed on to my dad's generation and then on to mine and I think people are probably bored of hearing people from Merseyside talk about the Beatles <laughs> but I don't care <laughs> I really do. and I think in, I, I'm obsessed with them like obsessed with their music but also obsessed kind of with like their lives and the, the, the different kind of trajectories that they went on post Beatles um, particularly George and I think it's hard to have kind of heroes these days because you, you either grow out of them or they get cancelled <laughs> or or you know something happens like they kind of disgrace themselves later in life or they say something iffy or they did the um, quality of their output drops off to, to such an extent that it, it diminishes what they did earlier but I don't think that happened with George Harrison I think I think he was a good man who kind of just did what he wanted and used his fame for good and turned his back on the parts of fame that he didn't like. Growing up in Liverpool, what comes first, the music or the football? I'm from just outside Liverpool, okay. uh, kind of a new town. However, my family are all scousers. I've grown <laughs> up in a, in a Liverpoolian family. Um, football comes first. Football, <laughs> football definitely comes first in Liverpool. I think it's. I think if you go anywhere in the world and people hear your accent or you're watching the football, you've got. A, Liverpool scarf or whatever it is on it's such an easy mention and 
that's such an easy conversation starter. Um, and then the second thing people say is the Beatles. Um, <laughs> is it's that's kind of a very close second. If you could go back and see either Joy Division or the Beatles in their prime, which would you pick? Yeah, it's yeah the Beatles. I I I, I, um, I love Joy Division. I love kind of factory records and stuff, but. Um, it's the Beatles, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and also, seeing seeing the Beatles as at their peak was kind of um, a special thing, and they didn't tour for that long. And they, you know, they they put out a lot of albums, but to see them see them live was 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 pretty rare, and you had to get in there early. Um, Joy Division was like my teenage years, kind of. Let's get into music. Let's start buying records and stuff. But the Beatles is family parties and. And, and the people putting records on there and your granddad singing and stuff like that. That's that's a lot closer to home. I was going to say, so that, that book is based on the film by Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. um, there's obviously being in lockdown for so long and stuff. I've been just trying to binge as many music or football docs, mm-hmm. basically, as I can. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is one on my list because I see that cropping up quite a lot every time yeah. I'm flicking through. And then also, as I said, you've got the football ones and you guys have sort of teamed up with Netflix with, for the football yeah. collection. So there's some amazing films in there. Um, that I've been watching. So the Maradona one, the Bobby Robson mm-hmm. one. Is there yeah. a football doc or film that's your particular favourite? I, I think I think you've just mentioned it there. I think that Bobby Robson one's absolutely better. Similar to as we were just saying to George, he, you know, he's a hero who holds up. I think I think if you watch that, I think he's a, he looked after players. He looked after particularly Paul Gascoigne through particularly. Tricky spell in his life, and and then did then did lots and lots of amazing things um, away from football in in terms of cancer treatments and stuff like that. I think I think Bobby Robson's incredible. I'm not um, I'm not the biggest drum beating England supporter. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm you know I like international tournaments. I I don't want England to do badly, but I'm not like a a, a real patriot. But I think. If there's anyone who gets me a little bit teary-eyed around England, it's definitely Bobby Robson. I think he was an incredible figure. So I think you you gonna go and watch that Bobby Robson film. I think Asif Kapadia's Maradona films insane and brilliant and as good as Senna and as good as Amy. Um, no disrespect to 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 Asif though. I think if you couldn't have made a breathtaking film about Maradona's insane <laughs> period in Napoli. <laughs> um, you know, you 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 need to look at yourself, but it is it's it. He's a he's a brilliant filmmaker, and that's worth watching. Um, I think Sunderland till I die for, <laughs> for is is possibly a portrait of football that more people will recognise than 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 the other ones. It's it's about what it's like when your team's losing every week and 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 going through the shit. No, some amazing films and documentaries out there. And um, thank you again at Mundial for grouping them so neatly for us. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Into one You're type bundles. Well. Um, <laughs> let's go on to your third item, please. Yeah, so, so this is a, a, a painting of a pub. I recognise that pub because I don't live far away from it at all. I, is that a pub on Church Street? Yeah, it's, a, it's the old Shillelagh in Stoke Newington. That's it. Um, I've lived in London for about seven years, on and off with a year year away. I never really had a local pub for a long time, and I think I don't think you're home, or you can call anywhere home until you have a local, 
And I moved to Stoke-Newington maybe like three years ago or two and a half years ago. And the day I was moving in, Liverpool were playing Roma um, in the Champions League. And I was like, oh, I need, to, you know, I need to move in. I've got a lot on. But I need to go and watch this tonight somewhere. And I think I called them or I dropped in in the day. And I was like, are you showing the Liverpool game later? And they sort of laughed at me like, yeah, <laughs> obviously. And I was like, oh, I didn't think much of it. Went and kind of finished moving. And then went in there in the evening. I was a bit like, oh, watching Liverpool in London in a pub. It's kind of going to be full of kind of people I don't get on with. And posh nouveau Liverpoolians and stuff like that. And as I got in there, um, this is how it looks to music, by the way. At the at the back, um, John Power, who was in the Lars and in Cast, was stood on a chair, I think, or swinging from the rafters, singing Liverpool songs. And I was like, "Okay, this this is my local. We're, we're good. We're good. Like, I'm I'm gonna drink here forever." Um, and it turns out it's like a really big Liverpool pub in London, and kind of all expat scousers and um, and and not and and London Liverpool fans go there and congregate. And I think if I'm not at the game or if I'm not back at home. That's where I've watched most Liverpool games for the past three years, and it's 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 an incredible pub, and it's, it does the best Guinness in London. That pub in particular is particularly dinky when you go in, which is part of the beauty yeah. of it. Um, what's it What's it like to watch a match? Because I haven't watched a match in there. I, I've I've only gone in on a Friday when they usually have uh, traditional Irish music. Yes, and it's packed then, and it's quite hard to move and dance. But it's an yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah. amazing little pub. And um, what's it like to watch a football? Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, like there's, there's kind of there's a little community there of of um, Copites and Liverpoolians and stuff like that. And there's, I think it's an I think it's an Arsenal pub as well. And I think I think you go in there on any match day, you'll obviously see a congregation of whoever's playing. But but it, it's it's a pretty special atmosphere for a pub that's quite quite a long way from home. And I like going to pub anyway, so it didn't have to do too much to impress me. But <laughs> but it did but it did impress me. And I think. Yeah, just that that moment of kind of walking in, not expecting much, and then seeing someone who is John Powers, like was in the Lars, who was you know one of three or four of the best Liverpoolian bands in the world. Then he was in Cast, who were probably the fourth, and kind of a real musical hero, and um, someone I've seen at the match back home and at Wembley and stuff like that um, was just like a ah okay, I found a, li- a little corner of home. Um, <laughs> A little corner of home in London, finally, and um, and the the people who run it are great, and it's it it's got a real family feel, which I don't think you get a lot in 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 pubs generally, but specifically in kind of a capital city. Well, as amazing as that pub sounds, the fact you've sold it to me as full of Liverpool or Arsenal fans as a Man yeah, United fan not. is probably. Probably <laughs> going to be avoided during... Well, for Liverpool, I'll avoid it during midweek. I won't need to worry with Arsenal because they're not getting the Champions League anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but no... Yeah, it, uh, I, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure Man United fans think in there as well, but I've just never when I've been in there. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so that's it. And it's a painting, is it, that you got? It was a gift off my um, my, f- my fiancé's mum for Christmas, which, which is like... I mean... Yeah, worry, worrying that that she knows how much I like going to pub, but but also like a really a really thoughtful gift. It's by um, Tom Articus, who's got an Instagram and all stuff like that. But I think he does. I think he paints kind of pubs and shops and stuff from in North London, and um, especially during lockdown, it's been quite a quite a, a nice nice reminder of where I'll eventually get back to once <laughs> once it opens again. Be there soon enough. 
Um, yeah. Let's move on to your fourth item, please. Um, so this is this is Johnny Cash. It's another it's another record. It's it's bitter tears. Um, and and if obviously the Beatles and all the usual Bob Dylan, all the usuals were kind of huge in 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 our house and and my grandparents' house growing up. But there's also this this mad thing in in my family and in a lot of Liverpoolian families that like country music is is huge. Like if my granddad gets together with his brothers, which they 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 every now and again they'll sing they'll sing country songs and I I might be wrong here, but I, I think what it is is that it was kind of from. Um, all the people who were on ships who went out to America, like the Cunard Yanks and stuff like that, would come back with records from America when country was at its, at its most prominent, and that's how they got their way into Liverpool and Liverpoolian households and stuff like that. And my granddad tells the amazing story of kind of like trying to tune into like country radio stations when he was a kid <laughs> on this big old big old radio in the house, and he'd sing uh, like I mean, yeah, Hank Williams and all, all these amazing things, but particularly Johnny Cash was sort of. Um, what we'd listened to growing up and, and it was always a big part of, of, of family life. Um, but this one was kind of not, was sort of one that passed me by. Um, as everyone knows, Ring of Fire and Jackson and then the later albums he did with Riff Rubin and stuff like that. But this isn't an album he released when he was sort of at the peak of his, his powers on Columbia. And it's about, it's um, it's Johnny Cash, basically his Ballads of the American Indian. And it's his sort of tribute to, to, to Native American um, struggles in 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 America at the time and before that and kind of he does like reinterpretations of of sort of Indian folk songs and stuff and it's all about how difficult and and how mistreated Native Americans were in the, in the US. Which, if you think about how big Johnny Cash was and 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 essentially at almost as big as Elvis at at this time and kind of an American hero and seen as a real patriot. What a mad brave thing to do to, to kind of, to, especially you know in the south and stuff like that to go. I'm gonna release a full album of um, of of songs which are which are supporting something that not everyone agrees with and something that 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 um, is is a marginalised group in America and 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 I'm gonna take their side and I think I think he he really struggled sales wise and he couldn't get radio play for it and he ended up taking out a full page ad might be wrong here but I think it was in like Rolling Stone or something saying you know this is what I actually care about I think to risk your career when you're seen as this all American hero and to and to stick up for a cause like that is something that we can everyone can learn from us especially with what's going on in the world right now yeah I think quite a lot of people over the years have sort of turned their nose up at musicians being political or bringing up um, issues in society yeah. And for me, I think it's just like, if you've got that platform, shout shout yeah. it from the rooftops kind of thing. And I think it's the sign of a proper musician, a proper old school musician as well, like doing that in the 60s. I think this might be a rumour, but I think that I think he did think he was of Native American descent. And before he did this, he looked it up and realised he wasn't, which I, I also really like because I, I love that. And I think everyone does a bit of that is like. Oh no, I'm a bit Irish. I'm a bit this. I'm kind of, you know, I'm the third cousin of this and that. And then he looked it up and was like, "Nah, I'm pretty much just American and Scottish." <laughs> which, which, but did it anyway. You know what I mean? And kind of made the album anyway, and kind of supported those people despite not being distantly related to them. Um, we we we've played it quite a lot in the office, which is how it how it sort of loosely links to um, to work and to football and to Mondial because Owen Owen who's one of the other directors at Mundial and kind of a huge part of part of our journey 
brought this album into my life and was like, have you heard this? You need to listen to it. It's incredible. And I think I think it's got all of Johnny Cash's swagger and confidence, despite being quite a worthy cause. Quite the array of music going on in the Monday Owl office, I have to well, say. The, yeah, this is the yeah. This is why I'm not very, not very cool, is it? <laughs> yeah. But like, look, that's what I mean. That's why I'm not allowed everyone. to. Put, that's why I'm not allowed to put playlists together because it would be ballads of ballads of the american indian and factory, <laughs> factory records which don't really gel let's go on to your final object please yeah my final object is is a sporting club the mundial um backpack essentially umbro backpack so last year we um, we kind of banged on about grassroots for a long time and said isn't it terrible how grassroots is um neglected in the uk and stuff so we decided to um, stick up for it ourselves and we set up a, what was initially meant to be a Sunday league team uh, which developed into a football club which is it now FA chart standard um, football club with a Sunday league team three three women's teams that play midweek we're looking at a Saturday team we're looking at yeah, a kind of a B team for Sunday and it's kind of exploded and taken on this life of its own which is what we wanted it to do we didn't want it to seem like a, a Mundial vanity project because there's there's plenty of those already. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we we kind of used our contacts and tried to build this in, a club in Hackney and as I said, it's taken on a life of its own. And the reason that's relevant to music because I haven't forgotten is <laughs> is that I'd never been to Hackney Marshes, but I'd seen it. I don't know whether you remember, but in like '97, I think it was. Now he released an advert where they took Eric Cantona, Robbie Fowler, Ian Wright and David Seaman and shot an advert on Hackney Marshes and it was set to Park Life by Blair. <laughs> so I'd always had this in my head that it was like, this is a cool place to play football, this is amazing. But didn't really know anything about it and then went down with, with Alan, Alan Bond, who's kind of our head of football, who's been playing there, he's, he's from up north as well, but he's been playing there for like five or six years and he'd always told me how special it was. And it's like, it's goosebumps special down there it's, it's incredible and it's scary and everyone's incredible at football in their own special way whether they're a pub team or they're kind of they're in the first division and everyone's tough and has kind of learned how to play grassroots football the proper way but it's 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 really special and it's well better than than, than, than the Nike advert that I loved for so long <laughs> um, and it's obviously the um, place of Ian Wright is the success story that came from Hackney Marshes yeah he he played I don't know how this, how much of this has become apocryphal, but like he definitely played grassroots football until very or, or relatively late into into his career, and kind of, I think I saw something on the BBC recently where he was working full time, had been offered another trial at Palace, and it kind of turned down the first one or something. I didn't know whether he wanted to go. Um, become a full-time footballer or continue playing grassroots and, and take on this kind of this other job he had and what an incredible loss that would have been if 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 he'd given up on it one last time mm. um, and I think I think um, generally what we're discovering and, and what everyone who's involved in our team and our club has known for a long time is there's there's a lot of people like that who who choose who go left when Ian right went right if that makes sense and and fall out of the system or, or go right up through the academy system, get to an age and drop out. And I think 
what we're trying to do in, in a very in a very small way to, to to be honest is is to provide a little bit of a safety net for that sort of player who might not who's like the six million times better than me at football <laughs> they're, they're an incredible side but maybe didn't have the right structures to get to become a professional or was going to become a professional left school and pinned all his hopes on that and then didn't and I think I think everyone knows someone like that. I think I think it's not just in Hackney, it's not just in London. I think everyone knows that guy who nearly made it or that girl who nearly became a professional. And did uh, you or any of the other staff start off playing or was it very much, no, we're going to leave this to people that have a certain ability at football and we've got this coach and or the system. Yeah. How did you go about it? We played midweek. With this, this kind of a community training session, which was another important part of it that we wanted to do. And... Um, the men's first team trade on one pitch and there's a community game which is sort of run out of a WhatsApp group on the other pitch and that's about our level. Midweek, play for about 60 minutes and then go for a pint afterwards. It's, <laughs> it's, more, it's more the stage where my football career is at. I just want to talk about a couple more of your projects because you've kind of, as mm-hmm. you've said, you've seeped into the, the actual football club side of things. Um, you've teamed up with Netflix. You've done the same with Spotify with Giant Podcast. Um, yeah. And I recently listened to the Man United Arsenal rivalry one, of course. Um, yeah. Excellent. Um, and you've also Thanks. released a children's book. So, Big Book of Football came out this year. Is that right? Yeah, like very recently. It's 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 mad. It's like got a kids' book on Amazon. I think I don't know. What, I don't know what it looks like externally, but to us, we're just kind of like still seven. 10 mates or whatever it is now who were who, who, who doing a magazine to try and do something we want to do and we're, we're working with Netflix we're, we're doing an incredible uh, podcast series with Spotify which I've got almost nothing to do with so <laughs> I can I, I, I'm allowed to say how good that is and it's Owen and Seb do an incredible job on Giants um, um, and then this kids book opportunity came up with a publisher and I think um, James James who wrote it kind of in house with us it, it it fulfills our tagline. It reminds us why we love football. We want to we want to explain to kids um, why Johan Cruyff was so important and and why Marta is so important in women's football and why um, tactics matter and and how big the camp how big Camp New is and all the all these things that we probably take for granted. I think that is quite an interesting thing because I think and again I find it similar with football and music that sometimes it can be easy to write off a player or a musician if they were before your time and you haven't had the chance to to see them or whatever so having that access for kids that you know there's probably going to be kids picking it up in the next year or so going who's Wayne Rooney when Wayne Rooney for me was the best thing ever (laughs) so um so there's different levels to it completely yeah I think so I think it just allowed us to be to, to just to just do something with with complete love and not go, oh, but what if someone doesn't like Bob Paisley because they're a man? You know what I mean? Like it was just like a kid is a kid's just gonna be into that, and whether it's Bob Paisley or Sir Alex Ferguson or whatever it is, let's just tell them how good they are and how incredible their achievements are, and not and not be like maybe we'll sell less because there's more Arsenal fans than there. Like forget all that for a second. <laughs> let's let's talk about football. Um, like how we how we grew up loving it, and you tend to find at that age. I know. I remember. I was guilty of it. I went for a stage where I thought, "Oh, Chelsea got some good players. Maybe, uh, 
maybe they're looking good. Or I had like loads of Everton match attacks cards or whatever. And I thought, oh, Everton got quite a good team. And I think as a kid, you just love, it's just fun. All of it, like that you you drink in all the football and it's less about, um, it's obviously about your club as well um, or, or your country. But um, you do admire those other players even more, I think, as a kid. Yeah, but when was this that Everton had a good team? Was it like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was a good team. I mean, Leon Osman um, was in it and Yakubu, so it definitely Leon, wasn't a Leon good Osman's team. From, Leon Osman's from my hometown. Is he? He's, he's, our, he's, our, he's our greatest export, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, my, just to clap, my mum's an Evertonian and half my family are. I've, I've got a real soft spot for Everton, even though that's not very trendy to say at the moment. Um, I, do, I do like Everton. This tends to happen with... Um, families from around your area like I swear you hear a lot about divides with Everton yeah. and, and Liverpool but I don't, I don't know if you get that as much in say Manchester yeah I don't think it's a, I think because the clubs are so close there's no localization of it there's no like like there is in Manchester where you're more inclined if you're from Salford you might be you're closer to Man United so you'd be a Man United fan or, or obviously in, in Glasgow where it's down political and religious lines that it did begin like that with Liverpool I think one was a Protestant and one was a Catholic club, but I don't think, I think it's more who you chose when you were growing up or who you, who your dad made you support or who you, who you went to the match with first. Like I went, I went to a lot of, a lot of Everton matches with my granddad growing up, but I was I was always a Liverpool fan. I think it, I don't, I'm not I'm not sure if it's the friendly derby that, that Sky Sports <laughs> like to say it is. It's it. Some of the things I've heard in recent years, it's certainly not. Friendly. Well, yeah, my dad's, uh, it'll horrify you to hear, my dad's a Leeds fan from London. Oh, man. And Why did you do that to <laughs> He always, he said as I was growing up, he didn't want to force me to get into football. So hence, I, yeah. I thought at the age of nine, getting into, into football through Euro 2004... Loving Wayne Rooney because that was this the mm. tournament he burst on the scene, and then subsequently moving to Man United. That's why I'm a Man mm. United fan, essentially. I mean, yeah, but you know, Leeds, Leeds might be back up there. Maybe you can make your dad very happy next season when when Leeds are in the Premier League. Do you know what? I'd love, I'd love them to come back up. What a, what a <laughs> match that would be! There'd be so many good matches yeah. against Leeds. I think. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for this, Dan. Um, what I get people to do then is, out of all your items, they're all been really different and had that same thread running throughout. Is I want yeah. you to pick one of those items to go into our virtual What's in the Bag Hall of Fame, please. Yeah. So it might be the one that means the most to you, the one you think uh, is the most eye-catching, the one you just are most proud of, and any of those sort of sentimental reasons. Yeah, the George book, I think. I think um, that's the Beatles and George and everything that's tied up in that, and Liverpool and home and family and stuff like that all, all, all roads lead back to the Beatles I think in, in terms of everything that I love even even football probably to an extent um, so yeah that's that's the one and it's a, it's an incredible it's it's a really good book and it's got some it looks it looks hefty it looks like it would take yeah it's massive like a long yeah. time to you get know what actually I don't think it, I don't think it's mine I think it's my fiance's so <laughs> maybe I'm not allowed, maybe maybe I'm not allowed to put it in but between me and you, that's the one I put in. Well, it's a solid choice. What I'm going to do is, uh, I'm, I'm too lazy, so I'm not going to go and read it, but I'm going to go and watch the accompanying film for that. Oh, yeah, you should. I mean, th- that's about three hours long as well, so. Okay, <laughs> I'll set aside some time. Set some time. Um, yeah. And you set aside three minutes, please, for Rue Tillett and the Revelation Time South Africa. <laughs> I'm going to do that immediately. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, mate.
Thanks for listening to this episode of What's in the Bag. Please leave us a rating, comment, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. That means that each episode will drop right into your lap as soon as it's here. Follow at WITBpod on Twitter and Instagram to get info about when each episode is coming and who my next guest will be. And a final thank you to Johnny Robinson for providing the music for What's in the Bag and Charlie Shreve for creating the artwork. You can find more of his work at Charlie Shreve Design on Instagram.